We are 138. We are 138. We are 138. Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the show. What's the show called? Uh, it, what's a sh- cult of personality? Yes, that's the show. We're back. Uh, and with a new dynamic twist. What's the twist for today? For th- today, uh, I'm drinking water. Oh, really? We're gonna be drinking. And to anyone listening, uh, go and grab a glass of water, and in three seconds, you can pause it now. We'll sip it together. So, three, two, one. That was a good, that was a good sip. Yeah. There we go. Water sipped. We're back. We're here. Um, we're not queer. Nope. But we're... He- not yet. Not yet, but we're, uh, we're reviewing another movie. It's part three of Sci-Fi Month, which is May. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the second last film I guess we'll be reviewing. Mm-hmm. Actually, we do have. I just realized now that um, we have two more weeks that fall in May. Or, what? Or no, no, no. Never mind. Okay. No, you're right. So uh, this will be our second last one. What are we reviewing today? Unless, unless May has another week. I made a mistake. Okay, and it happens sometimes. I thought May had another week. It doesn't. It's still only 31 days. We haven't done a movie like this before, so we thought we would switch it up and we would pick a documentary. So today we're looking at a documentary of an Amazon worker, um, and it's called THX 1138. Uh, and it's a very interesting look into um, not only the the Amazon warehouses, but the mind of Jess Bezos and what kind of a sick puppy would sort of devise such a horrific scheme for people to make their living with. It's crazy. If you call it a living. This movie is probably known to most people. For what, Lucas? Let's get the elephant out of the room right now. Uh, I actually don't know. Is it because it's a first movie from Star Wars guy? Yes. As you guys know, uh, or if you didn't know, Star Wars guy has a name. Um, and it's George Lucas. I think you got that right. He did a student film at USC in mm-hmm. 1967 called Electronic Labyrinth, THX 1138-4EB. Talk about a mouthful, mm-hmm. am I right? <laughs> and that was noticed by quite a, a couple of actually very prestigious filmmakers. Francis Ford Coppola went on to produce the theatrical version of the film, which we are reviewing today, THX 1138. Uh, Important to note that when the original student film was played at a film festival, it was the first time that Steven Spielberg took note of George Lucas and was impressed Mm. by the film. So I guess that's how their partnership spawned. Now, we need to to clarify here. We are reviewing which version of the movie. Yeah, I was going to do that, but I forgot. So, um, unbeknownst to me, I go to my local movie store, and I pick up this movie, and it says on the five, I mean the Blu-ray, it says 1971. 
Great, 1971, theatrical cut. Let's go. Turns out it wasn't. It was like 2000 and what? 2007, 2004. The director's cut, the George Lucas. I'm going to tweak my movie cut. Um, but you know what? I, I could tell which parts were edited and whether or not they looked campier or were out of the movie. I don't think it would have made much of a difference. So I'm not, I wasn't too upset about it. I went to two separate video stores because Lucas had this problem. So I went to a video store, uh, purchased the film. It was the mm -hmm. wrong version. From that same store, I purchased another copy. It was also the mm -hmm. wrong version. Then I went to a third store and it was still... Yeah the 2004 edit version. So I said, you know what? If this is what George Lucas wants everybody to see, then this is what we'll review. Okay? So, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the student film quickly first? Let's talk about the student film. It's 15 minutes. You can watch it on yeah. YouTube, as I did like 20 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Um... As Lucas had mentioned or to me earlier, it's sort of like, it's not quite a plot. It's more of like a demo. It's sort of like a portion of the film itself. Basically, mm -hmm. you have this, and it, it, it differs a little bit idea-wise from the film, I think. And basically, you just have this compute, this futuristic computer station that's monitoring this subject, THX-1138, as he runs through various corridors, runs through a few doors. Um, and then at the end of the day, or at the end of the 15 minutes, he emerges from his whatever underground bunker they've been trapped in um, with the with an official informing his mate that he has quote-unquote destroyed himself. Mm -hmm. That's a student film. What did you think of the student film? So, um, it's I, I don't think it was really supposed to be a story, more so it was supposed to invoke some sort of thoughts or emotions. Mm -hmm. Um which it didn't do as well as the movie did. Um, maybe if I was an art student, I would have watched that and um, would have been blown away or something. I wasn't really. Um, as you may or may not know, we are not film students. Um, and so watching the movie, I mean, it, it didn't do much, or the short film, it didn't do much for me. It's not a, an Eraserhead student film. Right. It really is just a short. And there's some things that they kept for the next movie. One of the things is, I don't know if I would call it a soundtrack, but they we'll get into it when we talk about the movie. But throughout the student film and or I guess I'll just call it 4EB through 4EB, there were there was this persistent radio chatter. Mm -hmm. uh, which I really liked in both. Um, and one thing that was really dumb, and I'm glad they didn't carry this on to THX, was on... I'm holding back a sneeze right now. On THX's forehead, it just had 1138 drawn on his forehead in, like, crayon. <laughs> it looks so <laughs> stupid. Um, but I, I wouldn't watch... I wouldn't watch 4EB again. It wasn't that... It wasn't amazing. No, it wasn't riveting. It is a nice proof of concept sort of deal for the what became the film itself. I don't know if that was the intention, if he had plans to expand the film originally, but it's uh, it's. I would recommend watching it just before, just so you can get a complete picture. The actual film is not very long anyway. I think it's about eighty-eight minutes. So 
it'll be a nice mm-hmm. it'll be a nice supplementation for the, the uh, cult film connoisseur as we say mm-hmm. and you know we're gonna get this film school thing right out of the way because as Tarant as I read on Reddit that Tarantino has said somebody said to Tarantino and this is in his own words when people ask me if I went to film school I tell them no I went to films and that, ladies and gentlemen, is Damn. is the cult of personality philosophy. It doesn't matter if we have no formal education or no actual credentials. Because let me tell you how many movies I've seen. I can't even count how many movies I've seen. There's too many. We know movies. Okay? There's this line in The Office where uh, Andy Bernard first meets Dwight and... <laughs> He says, Andy says to, to, to Dwight, do you know anything about movies? And Dwight says, like, proudly, I've seen over 240 of them. And I'm just like, wow, that is... That's a lot of films. That's not that many. That's a lot of films. Hey. That's not. Let me tell you. I've seen, I've seen, you know, I've seen probably, I've probably seen Batman Begins at least 240 times. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's all relative. I would say that... If you write the if you watch the right two hundred and forty films, you're you could be sitting pretty. Okay. Let's talk about the movie now. Sure. I want you to start because, you know, let's let, you know, let's address the other elephant in the room. You're the Star Wars guy. Okay? Uh yeah. And you're also the Star Trek guy. Mm-hmm. So I think this is Kind of your, and you're also the sci-fi guy. So this is really your territory here. This was your pick. I'm not really the Star Trek guy, but you can. I we're not getting into this again. Okay. I want to hear what you think about this movie. And okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, do you want to quickly brush over the plot? Yeah, I'll go over the plot. It's pretty simple. Um, and if you've uh. And I'll t- and I'll speak on this a little bit more later, but it's 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 very similar. It's sort of an amalgamation of nineteen eighty four and Brave New World. Basically, you have this uh, futuristic world. Everything's white and looks very sharp. Mm-hmm. And I that was one part of the cinematography that I liked. And in this world, it uh, is controlled by unseen computer overlords or people using computerized voice. Anyway, everybody is monitored and everybody is given drugs to keep them in line and to help mm-hmm. performance at their jobs. We follow, we follow THX-1138, played by Robert Duvall. Uh, and another prominent character in the film is his mate, uh, which is to say his roommate, as sexual reproduction and any sexual activity is outlawed in this mm-hmm. version of Earth or wherever it is. Uh, who is his mate is named L-U-H. Um, and what, ha- what kickstarts the plot is she begins to substitute his pills with some sort of other pills, or perhaps pills that are not pills at all. Um, mm-hmm. He enters this sort of nauseous and sickened state, and they sort of fall in love. And of course, from there, we sort of embark on an adventure to see if we can escape this totalitarian rule, and if love can conquer all. That's basically the gist of it. Most of the rest of the story, I would say, is an escape story. Uh, there was one other element that I think you should just add, which is that the... Um, the cops in this movie or the people, the enforcement of drug use and efficiency at workplace are robots. Yes. 
which THX makes. Yeah, so THX's job is to manufacture these robot guardians that uh, patrol all the centers. Um, and, mm-hmm. and LUH's job is to maintain surveillance on the city, so to spy in on people who are having sexual intercourse or are taking improper doses of their medication. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the movie. And we can get sure. we can get into nitty gritty later because this is the film where I want to talk about the plot a little bit. What okay. was your overall impression of this sucker? I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, and I was going into it like I this has been on my list of movies to watch for like so long, but I've never gone around to watching it. I forget where I learned about this movie. I probably just saw like a poster for it like in a re- local record shop or something when I was younger um, and I just wanted to watch it real bad so I'm glad I finally got to watch it um, I I really like like the soundtrack of the movie I like the look of it uh, I like the dark tones I mean some of the acting here and there I don't know I mean they do a good job of what they're supposed to do but I guess I just wanted maybe a little bit more from them uh writing wise maybe mm-hmm. um but I really liked it it grasped me maybe like four fifths of the way into the movie it started to I started to lose a bit of interest but then they got me for the ending which we'll talk about which I really liked um I really like kind of the satirization of extreme capitalism Mm -hmm. and there also are some jabs at extremist religious views as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and i just love anti-wagey movies uh this movie i don't think is better than brazil which is my favorite anti-wagey movie Mm -hmm. Uh, but this was this was up there i really liked it interesting and i'm gonna have to defer a little bit because i enjoyed this film to a degree, but I have big mm-hmm. problems with it. And one th- okay. one thing I'll say is that I, from the main three cast members in this film, of which we have THX, his mate LUH, and a co-worker of LUH who attempts to become a roommate of THX later, who is named SEN, played by, I believe, Donald Pleasance. Mm-hmm. He does an excellent job. And I think the three main cast members do a very good job. Uh, Donald Pleasance, I was right, by the way, he is known probably most uh, foremost as uh, playing Blofeld in uh, James Bond. Yeah, I just know him as as uh, Loomis. He's also Loomis in Halloween, uh, which is a great film. Which I don't. Maybe we will fill the call criteria. We will see. We'll do it in October. But they do a good job. This is a very minimal script, and if, and because of this, there actually isn't a ton of dialogue. But with mm-hmm. with the material that they're given, they do a great job. Of course, this is a very sort of moody, atmospheric, visual, heavy film. And they do a great job of not quite wearing their emotions on the sleeve, but sort of living in a sort of facade where they have to pretend to act a certain way, but you can sort of see the true feelings underneath. I think they do a good job with that. Um, particularly THX, Robert Duvall is the lead in this movie. He sort of has this um, determined... A frustrated face throughout the most of the film but whenever he's mm-hmm. in a pressing situation you see a little bit of that veneer left lift um and you see a little bit of uh some good facial i don't know expression in that sense a lot of the movie mm-hmm. 
is not quite action oriented. It's a lot of dialogue and it's a lot, not a lot of dialogue, but for the most part, I would say it's, it's dialogue. Um, and you know, shots just of the characters themselves. But I think, mm-hmm. I think the three cast members do all a good job. LUH is great. I actually missed her presence in the back half of the half of this film, which is something that I was okay. disappointed by. And I understood, I understand why, given the role she plays in the plot. Um, and Essie and Donald Pleasance is great in this film. I think he's my favorite character in this of the three major characters that are in this film, aside from some prisoners that we see later on. But he has this sort of he, for lack of a better term, he plays like a very typical boomer who's very who's very uh, talkative. Um, yeah, and he he's sort of in the way he speaks is almost desperate um, to rationalize his situation to cope with whatever he situation he's in. There's some sort of quiet desperation about this character that I love, and I loved his storyline in particular. And I actually think his story line was more interesting than that of THX or THX and LUH's saga, but we can get into a little bit of that later when I talk about the plot. But I think overall, from a performance perspective, this is a very well-done film. And I like the fact that it's a tight cast because it keeps it personal in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to introduce a game to you. Okay. And as a game I was playing in this movie, mm-hmm. it's called Which Elements of This Movie End Up in Star Wars? And it was a fun... Okay. And uh, I thought I, I had some fun with it. And this is some of the fun I had with this movie. I got three big things, or four, three or fourth big things. I don't know if you mentioned this, and I suppose we should get this out of the way. Sure. Um, number one, the hallways and such with the principally white color design, that kind of evokes mm-hmm. Star Wars for me. Okay. Um, Buck Rogers in the beginning was uh, an inspired choice, and it was, mm-hmm. and at first it can come off a bit odd, but once you finish the film, um, it sort of makes sense thematically of an idealistic version of the future versus a very possible future that actually awaits the people in this film. Uh, it's mm-hmm. also good because, you know, it's space pulp science fiction stuff and that obviously heavily inspires Star Wars. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed this, but um, later in the film during a chase sequence, one of the dispatches or computer ver- voices mentions a Wookiee. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't know. I, did, I had... So this is the this is the benefit of having subtitles on your film. I put subtitles on this movie, um, and one of the police officers, I suppose, or robots, mentions while um, THX gets into a car to make his getaway that he hit a Wookiee on the interstate, which I thought was funny. I don't know if that was added in um, after, given that we watched a two thousand four cut, but it was a nice little piece of thing. It might have been because I think those. I'm going to say that those monkey things weren't in the original cut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those little, um, those, the shell dwellers. Yeah. I think we should talk about, I want to talk about, and that's a good segue. I want to talk about this computer generation, computer generated sequences in the film. Sure. Because basically, and I had no idea, and I think this is pretty funny. George Lucas basically prequeled these, or not prequeled, sorry. He original trilogy, this film. Which he went back mm-hmm. and added a bunch of elements because he can't leave well enough alone. Um, nope. You get a, they're pretty sparse. There's probably like three or four of them, but when they do come on, yeah. they're heavy and they look pretty bad. I'm gonna say that. Uh, did you did you watch it on your TV downstairs? Yeah, I did. 
Okay, because I watched this on my computer screen, and maybe just because it's a smaller screen, I didn't notice, but I thought they looked good, and I thought, wow, these look so good. This can't be a 1971 cut of this movie. Well, the thing with this film is that early on, and I'm struggling to remember which point, there was an there was this sort of uncanny valley effect where something is being shown, and it didn't fit the way the film uh, looked to me. It didn't really fit the aesthetic of the film. Uh, was it the factory? No, or maybe it was. I would have to. I would have to scroll to see. But it was towards, I suppose, the middle of the film. Anyway, you get a couple of these computer-generated sequences, like a chase sequence, and I swear to God, it looks straight up like um, a chase sequence from Coruscant, like when they're flying around in I think episode two, after mm. they get death sticks. They look pretty bad, and there's also these shell dwellers that they have. They're basically uh, little people um, that are covered in CGI fur. Uh, and they look like the bastard, mutated children of the flying monkeys from Wizard of Oz. I didn't like these portions of the film. I know that they weren't in the theatrical cut, but we didn't get to watch the theatrical cut because it's not very readily made available. So I'm going to have to detract points from this film uh, for the distracting and poorly rendered, at least for 2020, uh, computer-generated sequences, especially in the latter half of the film when you're getting a lot of the climax of the film, you're getting a lot of the tension building up, and then you have these sort of scenes that sort of break my immersion. I was not having it. Okay. But, um, yeah. Uh, I forgot to mention uh, one last part of the which elements end up in Star Wars thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, was, there was one portion that I wanted to mention. Um, it was... Da, da, da. Well, I guess the CGI is something that also appeared in Star Wars, but that was uh, after the fact. But regardless, mm-hmm. that was a fun little game I played. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes... I, I have one that was, uh, it's kind of uh, niche, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure in some of the radio chatter in this movie, I heard a voice that I swear they reuse in Star Wars. Because in Star Wars, they have, like, that really um, that really fuzzy radio chatter. Yeah, you know what? That was actually another... That was another small element of the film. There was a point... And blue holograms. Yes, that as well. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's one point where it sound, It feels like... And I'm not sure who does the voice of the clone troopers in the original Star Wars film. But I swear to God, it's almost identical voice-wise. And he even kind of has that same affirmative sort of uh, quick delivery mm-hmm. it was interesting but the CGI uh, but the CGI in this film was a distraction for me and I have some other problems with this film but I'll let you okay. I'll let you take your turn yeah um, one thing that I love in this movie like the cinematography of this movie is so white it's so great and then you have like the police officers in their pure black uniform the contrast i mean i guess you could say it's easy to do but i mean name another movie that looks like this one i can't really i mean like the matrix has a few times where they're in all white or something but for the most part i can't think of another movie that looks like this all of the characters too are completely stripped of all identity. Like THX-1138, that's his name. But even in the dialogue of the movie, they don't call it a name. They call it a prefix and a suffix. It's not even a first and last name. Mm -hmm. It's just literally a barcode. Um, One thing that I liked 
is that Caitlin pointed this out when we were watching the movie. She said, "Is when oh, I people do what they do, and even if they're given crappy barcode names, they still like to humanize it. So La calls THX Thex, mm-hmm. and Caitlin said, "Was she calling him Sex?" And I was like, "No," but then I was thinking about it. And I saw this later on when I looked at the Wikipedia page to kind of confirm this, that other people think this as well, but THX name, you could think of it as sex, la could be love, and sen could be sin. I, uh, I do like that. I actually do like that idea. The only problem I have with that is the sin and sen idea, because I think that um, it doesn't really fit with sen's character arc or sort of plot line in this film. But otherwise, it's a pretty sound theory, I suppose. Yeah, um, and I like I like that. Um, the, so the cinematography is great. Like, there's when they're in the prison, it's just straight up there. I don't even know how they did it. They're just like in the most white room imaginable. You can't see walls. All you see is like endless white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the you know the policemen come in and they talk in this really weird robotic voice they only have two voices really one's like a deeper one and one's a higher one i could have done with a bit more variation there mm-hmm. um but I, I love the how the police officers look the dudes that play the police officers are like seven feet tall super skinny uh they like tower over the characters um you know what that was and, that was the el- sorry sorry to interrupt but that, that's okay. that was the element that i forgot in my star wars game that was the last one when you first see the police officers in their in their building chambers when THX is at work, the gold glint, it looks exactly like C-3PO. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. It did. It looked, and I thought to myself, this is like, George saw this and said, I'm going to put that in my movie. Well, this movie is kind of, I, this is a weird comparison, but it reminded me of, and I don't know if you've seen this movie, Metropolis. I haven't actually. But and in that movie, the working class live underground as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a robot in that movie that pretty much inspired C-3PO. So I think he may ha- this movie may have been inspired by Metropolis as well. And you know what? I, I, I do like the, the sort of economic themes at play here. One of the things that I like about the film is that from the two main characters, um, La and THX, they, have two, they each have a job. Mm-hmm. THX's job is just to manufacture police officers, so to mm-hmm. basically enforce his own state of repression. Um, yeah. And LUH's job is to survey other people, uh, which is effectively the same thing. I thought that was a very nice touch to have this sort of idea of the people um, in like perpetuating their own suffering uh, in yeah. a sort of capitalistic way. That was very interesting. Um, and I really appreciated the idea given in the film that uh, with the designations of the prefix and the suffix that there's a sort of commodification of the human being here where there's sort of elements in a production line, you know, just one cog in the machine that at the end of the day and as we see at the end of the film, um, if it passes expenditure, then it's not worth caring about anymore. Yeah. I loved all that. Uh, I really love... A lot of the dialogue in this movie that comes from their corporate overlords, like they'll just be a PA system. They'll be like, remember, an efficient worker is an efficient society. Or they'll just say stuff like that. 
uh, I I love all that. Just um, there's a scene where THX is working in a factory, and another in another sector of the factory, there's like a radiation leak. And then the PA system goes off, and it's like you may have heard that there's a radiation issue. We promise you, there is no such problem. Continue working um, as you are. Um, I just love that really bleak look at just extremist um, efficiency. No, yeah, and atmospherically, it's great. I think in that particular sequence of the film, um, they say they congratulate THX's sector for only losing 195 workers. Whereas the other one lost two hundred forty-two, that was very. Yeah. That was probably the bleakest uh, humor you can have in this film, which it doesn't have a lot of it. Uh, but it, the atmosphere, like the cinematography, and the world building given, it prevents a very bleak and hopeless vision of the future. And I don't have mm-hmm. a problem with that per se, and I liked it quite a bit. But I think to a certain degree, it, I found the film to be a bit dull. Okay. And maybe it's because I'm inclined to more dialogue-heavy films. But I like to think mm-hmm. that, you know, some of my favorite films... I love 2001, and that doesn't have a lot of dialogue. And there's some... And it sort of reminded me a little bit of this film. But I felt that there was parts of the film where it drags... We have this chase sequence late in the film that, to me, was fairly poorly directed because a lot of it is staring back at gauges on computer screens and back to dispatch and it didn't mm-hmm. feel dynamic enough and i understand that that's the sort of the idea of the film the sort of the atmosphere that lucas wanted to create but i found myself i found i found the film hard to engage with at various points in the film i think the first act of the film is might be the best um the second act there's some elements uh, especially when the end is in the prison where you feel as if there's nowhere else to go. And in the third act, mm-hmm. it's sort of a mixed bag for me. But the movie at points was pretty dull for me. I don't think the simplistic plot is a con per se, but I think that with a bit more in the way of um, interact character interaction or in the way of ideas being espoused, um, it would have given the film a bit more substance to me because at the end of the day, it feels like a film that's a little bit underdeveloped script-wise. Okay. The other thing that I was not a fan of in this movie is that I think that as a dystopian film, and I like that it's sort, it has a nice amalgamation of various elements of other dystopias from movies and film, or sorry, from film and literature, but I think that to a degree, it doesn't present enough of its own. I think it's a film that lacks a little bit of imagination it feels a bit derivative of brave new world in 1984 per se because there aren't any particular elements beside i would say the robot police officers um and sort of the aesthetic design of the film that feel particularly novel so i wasn't really enthused in that regard well i mean you love brazil right i did enjoy i i and you know i thought of brazil quite a bit when i was watching this film because to me that was the closest comparison i could make obviously brazil is a film with much more humor much more vibrance i sort of think of it really as if 1984 is the base for these movies brazil is like 1984 with grandeur and a great set design and like these ridiculous elements and funny dialogue and THX is sort of the minimalist version of that kind of idea. Okay. Did... Yeah, I, th- I think this movie, 
Sorry, did I cut you off? No, go ahead. Um, I think this movie, I don't know if it's supposed to like present more dialogue as it is supposed to just be heavily atmospheric. Mm -hmm. And I think like the atmosphere and nails, like all the PA um, announcements I love, they have these really, really dark um, thematically uh, booths. It's like confession booths that they just streamlined where it's just this very blank image of Jesus Christ's face. Mm -hmm. And he talks to you in a very monotone voice. And all they use these uh, booths for are to just incriminate more people. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even listen to you. Like, you'll just be in mid-sentence talking. I'll be like, "Uh uh-huh. I hear you, my child. Hmm. You are a great worker. And I like the only thing that's more dark than that are the suicide booths in Futurama, where they've where they streamlined, uh, where they streamlined suicide. Uh, I love these things. Like in this world, that's their greatest solace because they don't talk. They don't have friends in this world. Their best mental health program is this automated Jesus boot that doesn't listen to you and tells you that you're a great worker and to continue providing for the state. I love that. Um, I didn't really talk about it, but the soundtrack of this movie is really just this non-stop ear-splitting radio chatter where I, I didn't have subtitles on, but for me, it was borderline unintel. Like, I couldn't tell what they were saying. It was illegible, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like... And they just do that over and over again. And, oh my god. And I like to think that that's what the workers are listening to. And it's just mind-melting. It's just, like, I could just imagine going nuts in this world. And, um, and you know what, I can appreciate... And I appreciate those elements, but I feel like to a degree, it it uh, instead of me sympathizing for the character, I was sympathizing for myself because I felt like it was a bit boring for me, personally. But I do agree with you. Okay. The minimal score is an advantage of this film. I actually like that a lot of the film has no score or at least a very, very simplistic note or or sort of the instrument playing at the time. I'm glad mm-hmm. it's not a big, jaunty, guitar-driven thing. Um, and I'm glad that you highlighted the confession booth scene because to me, that's one of the best scenes in the film. Um, yeah. Number one, I like the idea of this future confession booth because it's, I'm not Catholic, but I've seen enough TV and enough Daredevil to tell you that when you get into the booth, there's like a little wall that you can speak to the pastor and so he can't see you and all your sins. So they sort of do that here. The difference is, number one, that veil is taken away. So this Jesus figure, which I think is actually a, pa- a classical painting that they took for this film, yeah. um, is just staring directly at you, which, of course, works with what you said in terms of uh, trying to collect information to incriminate these people. But it's just another great way that they show this sort of disconnect between uh, THX, and I guess the idea is that there are other workers like THX who are so dissatisfied physically, mentally, intellectually by their existence. I mean, who wouldn't be? And you just mm-hmm. sort of have this uncaring figure that understand that says, I understand and we'll do the best for you, but really does not care as long as productivity continues. I thought it was a great scene. That was one of my favorite scenes of the first act, and I'm glad that you mentioned it. Um, and I noticed that in that scene, THX 
um, is speaking to this to this uh, Jesus Christ character, and I like that they made the character's name, and this is almost humorous, Om, mm-hmm. Om, like Om, yeah. And I thought that was funny too. So that was a nice little touch by George Lucas. Mm-hmm. I I really liked when he would talk to that, you know, this confession booth, and then he would be like, "Could you be more specific?" Like any time THX would say something that might be kind of incriminating him. Mm-hmm. I just love that. Like it, it, they really don't give a shit about the mental health of their employees. They just want to push these people further and further into being Amazon workers. They just want them to be artificial intelligence, really. And, um, yeah. Like robots, yes. I should say. No, yeah, you're right. Um, you want to talk about the jerk-off machine? I love that, too. Like, that is just so... So, they're not allowed to have sex with their partners, so THX goes and watches this porn hologram, and then he just sits there with a blank expression on his face while this uh, machine... I'm assuming they it harvests come. Yeah, uh, this dude This dude looks like he's in heaven. I don't know. I'm trying to... I call it Skywalker Ranch to see what what kind of where we're at with that technology but no um i like that was an interesting little sci-fi touch i also like the holograms that they present and we should talk about a f- character that actually is sort of the fourth major character in this film um srt yes srt um mm-hmm. we are told he looks like a human he's a tall black guy but we're told that he is actually a hologram um yeah. and one of the holograms that acts in the television productions or the sort of hollow productions that we see that are broadcasted into the rooms of each of the members of the strange society. Mm-hmm. I, the funniest thing about him is that of all the characters in the film, he has the most life. And he's black. And he's black. The only one. So this was, I think the, I think, uh, I think Coppola made Lucas put that in because I think he sort of saw the sort of, you know, maybe not racist, but the, you know, sort of uh, on PC elements of George Lucas is surfacing here. So you got that out of the way early. But I like the hologram character. He's sort of just a guy who's kind of like, he, who's who's the most well-adjusted of the group. He seems relatively happy. He just, mm-hmm. I think at one point in the film, he says something like, I'm glad to just be checking out the rest of the world. I assume he was yeah. just in a room acting for this hologram thing. He's an interesting character, and he's a nice foil to Robert Duvall for the last third of the film. I mean, you have this sort of bleak, desolate atmosphere for the entire film, but then when this character shows up, he has a little bit of much-needed much needed life, I think. Hey, 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 we're back. It's Cult of Personality. We're having a little bit of technical if- difficulties, um, so just bear with us here. Don't worry about it. Just ignore it. Please, please. <laughs> Um, anyway, I just finished, I believe, talking about SRT, and I was going to talk about Donald Pleasance's character, S-E-N. Donald Pleasance mm-hmm. is a wonderful actor. Um, one of his great character moments in this film is when THX and S-E-N are in the prison and they decide to escape, which is to say they walk off into this white, never-ending void. Um, and Donald Fe- uh, Pleasance goes from a sort of confident demeanor that they'll escape to sort of worry to downright terrified. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great human moment because Robert Duvall's character, while he is human, he, he has a sort of uncanny determination throughout some of the film. 
that's well performed, but uh, not quite as personable as Donald Pleasance's character. And he just plays a, just as a man sort of rationalizing his situation, he feels like a relic from the old world. Um, yeah. Somebody who hasn't quite yet been broken down, somebody who has a little bit of hope, somebody who is a bit of a chatterbox and loves to ruminate and philosophize in a sense. I don't know. He was a great. Uh, he was a great addition to the cast. He rounds out the three and the three the three main characters, or I guess suppose four if you count SRT, um, and he just delivers a wonderful performance along the way. I like when they're escaping the prison. Like let's say Donald Pleasance and Robert Duvall, or sorry, THX and SEN are in the center. Let's say they go to the right. Eventually, they find SRT. And then he says, oh, no, the exit is to the left. And they're like, what? We just came that way. And then they look to the left and then like the exit is right there. That was really fun. That was kind of funny, too. Yeah, that was weird. But I like that, though. You know, what's even weirder is SRT says, can you have some of that food? I'm starving. But you're a hologram. (laughs) So riddle me that one, SRT. What's the story? Uh, he's hungry, man. I don't know. He's got to fuel those uh, wavelengths. And let's think, what's the subtext here, given that SRT is also the file extension name for subtitle files? Okay. Yeah, I don't know what... if that existed at the time. Well, let's, you know, I mean, this was a mo- this is a movie. Would you say this movie's ahead of its time? Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, so, well, there you have it. Shit. George Lucas and The Simpsons predicted subtitle files. News at 11 and Trump and COVID-19. They predicted COVID-19 because they had an episode where there was a pandemic. As, as a tangent, I went to uh, YouTube to look at the student film. Um, and then I went to look at the trailer for the, the theatrical film. And I think one of the first comments was, this is, a, this is stunningly... Um, this is a stunningly, like, um, it, this is very, this is very similar to what we're dealing right now with COVID, and I'm wondering how many sci-fi movies can we just relate one small element to our present situation right now? Uh, Star Wars be... is a lot like now, because Darth Vader is. It's like Trump. Yeah. And his fascist government is telling us not to go outside. Yeah. So. You know, another brilliant move by the man himself, Mr. Lucas. <laughs> this guy can't be stopped. What were your issues with the uh, the plot of the movie? My plot, my issue with the plot is that it's just a bit too simplistic for me. And I think okay. that's part of the reason. I think there isn't enough events that happen in the film. And that's why a lot of the film is spent looking at computer monitors and the chatter. And once again, I appreciated those elements to a degree but it felt excessive at a certain point. I would probably say like uh, halfway through the film where I was kind of hoping for things to pick up. The first okay. act of this film is, is excellent in world building. And then in the second half, we sort of get the um, rest of the plot. But I mean, plot wise, it's not remarkable. Um, it's just a standard escape story for the rest of the film, which I guess is makes sense given that 4EB, the student film, was literally just a ch- basically a chase scene. Mm-hmm. For the entire fifteen minutes, but I just wanted a little bit more, you know. Um, I just wanted some. I wanted that moment in Brazil when you know bombs go off in the 
in in the restaurant or the um, or the retail store mm-hmm. or or where they have to go through the mall or something. I know this is not an action oriented film, but I wanted a little bit more eventfulness out of this. Yeah, it start it started to lose me a bit. Maybe I said like four fifths of the way into the movie where they've escaped prison and now they're kind of just dicking around and i was i was just thinking like okay what what's coming next mm-hmm. like there was a you remember that part where like srt and thx like take a nap or something and then they wake up and they were tagged yeah <laughs> I, I was i was just like uh can we i don't i don't really need this like let's let's get this move in here Yes. And, you know, and, and it's, and I think I mentioned this earlier, but like in the sort of climax of the film in the chasing, which I suppose is supposed to be the most riveting uh, sequence of the film, I just found it pretty dull. Um, you, you just see the police officers trailing. I don't know if it's the direction. I don't know if it's the lack of dialogue. I don't know um, if it's, if, I don't know if it's just the mood in the scene, but it just felt off to me and I was a bit disappointed. The true climax of this film, I guess, is the actual end when the orchestra swells and we and he escapes the prison. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that that portion to me feels like something that could just be removed from the film. And I think that's sort of supposed to be, given that it's a a film um, with theaters in mind. I I like to think that was one of the set pieces that Lucas was hoping would bring audiences in, you know, to a degree. Yeah. Oh, one other thing, just like a throwaway scene, which I really helps build the world, and that's what George Lucas uh, really exceeds at, I think, uh, and why I like his movie so much, is when Sen goes to pray at this giant portrait of Jesus, mm-hmm. and or just confess, and then this guy comes up and he says, "You can't pray here. You you have to do that at one of the booths." And then I like I just like that you're not even allowed to pray wherever you want. Yeah. Like it has to be in designated spots. And then he's like, "Where's your ID badge? I'm gonna have to like call this in. I'm sorry." Um, I just love that. Like even praying, something that like is so. Uh, it it it's so. Tr- How do I explain this? Like praying is just something that I could do anywhere. At any time, I could do it in my head, and no one knows. Like, it's a most, it's one of the things that, like, you just own yourself. No one else can own. But even in this, you know, society that they're living in, even that is owned by the state and dictated by the powers that be. That was a good scene. And a small note, I think I would have liked a little bit more expansion on the religious ideas in this film. Mm-hmm. One of the, another element of the show, Don't Tell, is that we, see the monk there's monks in this film so there's a typical worker like thx there's a robot and then there's these monks that wear these hoods and one of the yeah. monks is one of the care is the character that confronts uh, sen as he attempts to pray i think like a, i wanted just a little bit more from it because i wanted to see religiously it's n- it's not a film with grand religious overtones besides the the uh, scene in the booth and then the scene with sen being confronted in the television station or what mm-hmm. have you. I think a little bit more would have been good. Um, they do this... I think it's almost like a hallmark of of a dystopian fiction to sort of at least touch on religion a little bit. And I guess because... I mean, especially... I mean, back in the day, this is a 50-year-old film. 
um, religion is is a big thing now. So even in seventies America, it was also a big thing that you had to, of course, sort of you know touch on if you're talking about a, a massive shift in society. But I don't know. I think a little bit more would have would have um, would have sated me a little more. There was one other religious aspect which I like, which was when THX was arrested. They had this little kangaroo court for him, um, which was just this guy in a room with THX, and then he was wearing headphones, and he was getting just fed arguments by people for mm-hmm. why THX should be found guilty. It wasn't whether or not he was innocent or guilty. It's just whether or not they should put him in prison, if yeah. that makes sense. Like, he didn't defend himself at all. It was just other people saying, why should we throw him in jail? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ladies was like, we cannot allow this sort of sexual perversion to ruin our society. This is a sinful act and yada, yada, yada. So there was that sort of religious aspect too, uh, which I, which I really liked. Yeah, it was a nice, it's, it's here, it's here, uh, in a little, in a little doses and it's nice. And I yeah, guess one... it's just a... oh, sorry. I was going to say, it's just, I guess it's just a preference of mine. I, I do tend to find religious themes. As a as a man who was raised Lutheran, and I went to confirmation and all that. I like to sort of see the for life for I kind of like to see filmmakers' takes on this you know massive portion of our society. But anyway, continue. Um, one thing that I personally wanted to see was after they're let out from work, these swarms of people go and shop. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see that aspect. Like, I would love to see the, like, the useless, boring shit that they were buying. Like, THX comes home with, like, that red cube or that red, you know, object, whatever it was. And, and it then, serves no purpose, similar, seemingly. Yeah, like, he just buys it and then he goes home and throws it in the trash. <laughs> immediately. Um... But I just wanted to see that shopping mall sequence, but maybe that would have been too expensive for for him to do. I don't know. Well, an interesting thing for me is that I I sort of thought at the beginning, given the first act of the film, I thought they were sort of committing that the the whole world is like this white sort of hellscape where everything is just corridors and rooms. But then they have then they show like the expressway, and there's mm-hmm. all these cars going about, and I'm wondering what are these people going to? Are they all just going to shops and then going home? Like, does THX have his own car? It might be, like, the higher-ups. I suppose. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was interesting that he would allude to, like, a sort of, a slightly different world that's still within this world that is presented in the film, but interesting, yeah. I like this movie because, to me, it was what Black Mirror wasn't for me. Uh, because Black Mirror for me was just like you watch an episode. It's like, whoa, what if the government was harvesting babies, and they use the babies to fuel rocket ships? Or what if Pajama Sam was the United States Emperor, <laughs> and like people watch and go, whoa, bro, like that's totally what we're living in, man. Like the computers are ruling our McDonald's orders, man, and it just is so fucking pointless. To me, this actually had a point. It was showing the shocking world where we could draw parallels to our own and think of, well, let's not do that. 
Although some people would love if we if we did that, I'm sure. But majority of people see this and think, oh, that sucks. Um, and isn't just what if Cheeto Dust uh, were sexual predators on TikTok or who cares? <laughs> just that sentence is not going to make sense to a lot of people. <laughs> no, but I agree. Uh, if we're going to talk about Black Mirror, um, I don't think it's the most thought-provoking television show. It's kind of one note. Although I do like the episode um, where the two guys smash each other in smash bros <laughs> that's one of my favorites but it may be just because i'm immature um no but i would I, this is more thought-provoking than black mirror i'll give it that um there's things to ponder in this film i thought about this film after i was done i just think that as a film it needed a bit more to just be a fully well-rounded quality product that i can fully vouch for hmm so, I don't you know, know. It was kind of like listening to a Swans album for me. Where well, it, well it Swans are kick, terrible, so... Where it just kind of kicks the crap out of you, and then when it's done, you just feel, like, ah, refreshed. And hey. that's, that's what this movie was like for me. <laughs> it's listening to a Swans album. You know, that's going to make or break it. Everybody, go listen to a Swans album. <laughs> if you don't like it, don't watch this film. Okay. <laughs> Because that's the closest analogy you're going to get. Actually, I don't recommend doing that because the Swans albums are like three hours long. And <laughs> nobody had the fucking time for that. Guys, cut it down. All right. Maybe 40 minutes max. Please. Michael Gyarados, quit it. Just cut it out. All right. You want to go to bags? Um. Yeah. We, ha- we had like 20 so minutes of audio that we lost. And I. it's kind of crappy now because I don't know what was in that 20 minutes. So we like I don't want to go over something if we've already done it or not. You can so, touch on it briefly. I don't think people will mind. What what did we all say? Did was was that part where we talked about the scene with all the people in the corridors lost? Uh maybe. Well, we'll just go over it again. Anyways, um Matt was talking and he's during their prison escape or as soon as they escape the prison, they're just met with like this swarm of people just seemingly endless all in white shirts shaved heads all just like going nowhere basically saying nothing while the PA is going over top of them and I said that this is kind of what George Lucas does where we just kind of take a peek into these worlds and things aren't explained to us like in Star Wars where Han Solo is at Mos Eisley and Garrido's talking about Jabba the Hutt and Han Solo is talking about you know, getting rid of a shipment or something, and we have no idea what they're talking about, but it's just shown to us, like, without explanation, because this is real life to them. Why would they be explaining things to us? Mm -hmm. And I just kind of like these moments in THX and in Star Wars where things are just presented, and you have to go, like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. Which some people, like, I know quite a few people who, if they watch a movie and things aren't, like, handed to them, They'll be pissed off. Christ, or... that's my sister, man. Yeah, watching... that's my sister as well. It's like you're watching the movie and you're saying, "What's happening?" I don't. You know, just watch the movie, okay? Because <laughs> I, I, I'm seeing the same movie as you. Just wait till the movie is done and then ask questions. Because the yeah. question you're asking is going to get answered in five minutes. And if not, just let it be unanswered. 
Because that's the way it's supposed to be. That means you're supposed to think. Think about it. Like, if, I, if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you're one of the people who, you finish a movie, and you go to YouTube, and you look up <laughs> X ending explained. I'm going to look up THX ending explained right now. Maybe Friends is more your speed, okay? Because just watch a movie and think, and just think about it. Uh, Tom the Critic has THX explained. It's only two minutes, though. I really want in-depth. I want an in-depth look into the meaning of the ending. Um, what yeah, does that I, mean? d- I did actually watch this film with my sister. Uh, she hated it. <laughs> so if we if if I have the stand-in for Helen, uh, she probably gives it like one bag, maybe two. <laughs> she uh, she's not a fan. I've been watching a lot of movies with her lately, and uh, it really it's really highlighting the disconnect that I have with I suppose the average moviegoer because yeah. we don't agree on anything ever. <laughs> Um, and she doesn't like any of the films that I pick. Well, yeah, like, Kate, Caitlin likes, you know, run-of-the-mill picks. Like, she likes average... She she said that she doesn't like really crappy movies or highly intellectual movies, she said. Uh, so mm-hmm. she hated this movie, too. Oh, she hated it. Yeah. How many bags is Caitlin giving her? Is Caitlin uh, probably there? zero. She zero? ate the popcorn and threw out the bag. <laughs> You can't have zero bags, and it creates a void. You have to have a bag. She gives it half. Half a bag? No, there's no half bags. One. All right. That's acceptable. But she took a few kernels out. Out of the bag? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's... No. Then you're just... That's just... You're just circumventing the half bag restriction I just put. Nice try. Let's hear how many bags you're giving this film. Give me a moment. I need to prepare myself. If okay, you I'll want to you... do it in the meantime. Yeah, I'll do it in the meantime. While Lucas thinks very hard about this, I'll give this... This movie is a three-bagger for me. Oh, um, some good perform- good performances, good set design, a great atmosphere. It just drags too hard some moments. I wanted a little bit more from the plot. Um, and I wanted a little bit more of... George Lucas's imagination on the screen. I mean, this is the guy who made Star Wars. Okay, we can uh, we can talk about and we can talk about a joke all we want now. But haha, Star Wars sucks. But Star Wars nineteen seventy seven and New Hope that is an amazing film. That's one of my favorite films. And then he follows that up with Raiders uh, when he and he wrote and produced and co created that. And that is just so inspired. Yeah, it's a little disappointing for me. But I do understand that this is his first effort, so I'll give him credit on that front. I am going to give it... Hurry up! Let me finish my RuneScape quest, and I'll let you know it's going to be eight. Eight bags? All right. Yeah. Um, there were parts where I thought, okay, let's get something going here. Um... And there were a few things that I would have liked to see, have seen. There were things that I wanted to see be explored to even a darker route, like especially where, and I don't know if this part was cut out, if it is, sorry, where we talked about La being reassigned to her fetus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to see more of like that dark path of harvesting kids. Um, if, if this movie went any darker, it, it would have made even less money than it did. I know, and that's and that's why he 
made Star Wars after this was he thought that why critics dislike this movie so much was because it's so dark. And he's like, well, I'm going to do something a little more optimistic. And then, Boom, um, bam, bob. but I mean, for me personally, watching this movie now, uh, I, I don't care about the, oh, I lost it. Oh, it didn't. Well, it didn't lose money, but it didn't make a ton. But yeah, um, you know, for the box office gurus out there, riddle me this one because it's it was produced on a budget of seven hundred seventy-seven thousand dollars. Seven hundred no seven seven hundred seventy-seven thousand seven hundred seventy-seven dollars. I don't know what the significance of that is. Um, and it made two point four million. I I think that's like a r- relative, like not a great success, but I mean that made money. Yeah, but yeah. it's uh, it's described here on the Wikipedia as a, a immense box office failure. Uh, I don't know if it was this movie. One second. Uh, yeah, like American Graffiti. Uh, its budget was also seven hundred seventy-seven thousand, but not seven hundred seventy-seven dollars. Um, box office one hundred and forty million. I guess comparatively, that is not as good. I mean, even look at Star Wars. Holy shit. Star Wars like, made, what, $420? Uh, $0.34? Star Wars 1977. Budget was $11 Box office, just a cool $775 million. What is that adjusted for inflation? I looked at that the other day. Um, it was like over 2 or $3 billion. I And that's, you know what, I... I this is such a bean horse, but it's crazy to think that a new property could come out out that time, like very wholly original, and it'll just blow people away. I suppose you could say that Avatar did that in 2009, mm-hmm. but I swear to God that Avatar's m- numbers are, are some sort of money laundering scheme. There's no way everybody went to see this movie in the theater. I saw it in the theater, but I can't. I actually have a hard time believing Avatar is one of the highest grossed films of all time. It's not that it's like really bad, but it's just, you know, the way that it is. Well, even if you compare the two, who gives a shit about Avatar? Name one character from Avatar, right? Uh, <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez. Oh, she, she uh, is she like the uh, Spanish lady? Well, that's the actress's name. I don't know any character names. Oh, yeah. Actually, well, I can't yeah. name. Uh, Zoe Saldana plays Neytiri. In Avatar. Okay, um, he got me. And uh, there, I got it. <laughs> By I, the I way, uh, some news just came out. Uh, so far, James Cameron has spent over a billion on the Avatar sequels. I cannot wait to see what a mess this is. I have a feeling that there's a 50% chance that these movies will just end up in development hell somehow, even though they already finished filming, because... It's taking so long, and there's so many, and there's so much money in. I don't know what's going on with this movie. James Cameron, do something else, please. <laughs> I'm begging you. Like, you went from Titanic to Blue People? He went from uh, Terminator to this? Yeah. <laughs> Terminator, Titanic. Oh, yeah, I forgot. He did Aliens. He even did True Lie. That's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's washed up. He's got too much money, not enough ideas. I, I want to double check it. Yeah, so Star Wars nineteen seventy seven made three point three billion dollars if you cal- if you uh, calculate inflation. That's so crazy. Just a couple of bucks in Mr. Lucas's pocket. I think that must be the second highest grossing adjusted for inflation next to um Gone with the Wind, right? 
Uh, I was just checking the other day. I don't think it was second. One second. It's actually fourth. That's crazy. Yeah. So Avatar is a second. So Gone with the Wind is first. Although people like to always cite the fact that it was re-released in the last 80 years that the movie's been released mm. uh, many times. And then it's Avatar, Titanic, and then Star Wars. And then one of the best movies ever made, Avengers Endgame. I love on this list they have Dr. Zhivago. I think like, that's fun. I think that's funny too. Doctor, I think Doctor Savago, and then also having the Ten Commandments on there, like people. Like I know that one. Why you? Well, ten. It's just funny to me because, like, if you ask people now, how many people have seen Ten Commandments? Not a lot of them, probably. Right. And it's kind of the same deal with Sound of Music. Actually, I'm surprised it grossed that much. But Julie Andrews is a doll. She's a doll. I remember I had this book. I have to go find it. It was this huge book on the history of Star Wars. And when uh, when E.T. or when Titanic passed uh, Star Wars, he like sent him a letter congratulating him on that or something. I forget, but it was it was wholesome. It was a feel good moment. I want to before before we go, I want to say one last thing. These are the highest grossest films of this year. Um if you want to know about the absolute <laughs> state of cinema. I already know what it is. Number five, Invisible Man, which is a good movie I didn't get to see. I should probably rent it. Uh, four, Birds of Prey. Awful movie. <laughs> Given, Think about how this movie is a total box office flop and it's the fourth highest grossing movie. Third is Robert Downey Jr. trying to uh, continue <laughs> his career after Iron Man is over. Um, he failed and this made uh, not a lot of money and was also a bomb. Uh, second was Sonic the Hedgehog, which I did see in theaters. Um, it was actually kind of okay. Um, and number one, you know, it had to be Bad Boys for Life, the third Bad Boys movie. It's got Martin Lawrence. It's got Will Smith. They're shooting guns. They're you know eating fries. They're um, saying vaguely homophobic things. That's awesome. It probably takes place in LA. You know how it'd be. I have to say that, this, Sorry, go ahead. I have to say the scene in Bad Boys One where Lou where um Martin Lawrence's character spills like fries all over Will Smith's car. That's basically what happens every time me and Luke get a burger. No, Don't you know what? I every time I look at his seat and there's like a couple of like those little half those little like small like crisp that are at the bottom of the fry bag. There's crumbs everywhere. There's fucking wrappers in the cup holder. Clean that shit up. Okay. It doesn't happen. It I'm happens. Say- it been happening. Who are they going to believe? Me, because I own the car. It's just bullshit, man. Yeah. Whatever, buddy. I, like, oh my God. Look at these lists of highest grossing films. We had, like, goddamn The Godfather, The Exorcist. Jaws, Rocky, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, what do we have here? Captain America, Civil War. <laughs> hey, that's this a tr- decent movie. I got the drink topper for that one. It was Black Panther. I'm going to edit that out of the show. So <laughs> I, can, I can just spare you. Don't worry. Hey, you know what? That was uh, that was the first appearance of Spider Man in the MCU. I had to see that movie. Okay, saw it in theaters. 
We're going to have an MCU episode. We're going to talk about all the films. They're each going to get two minutes because there's 74 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this up on a high note. What's your favorite Marvel movie? Uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man. No, it has to be um, uh, Disney approved. Thor Ragnarok. All right, that's a, that's a pretty good answer. That or, I mean, Guardians. Yeah, Guardians is cool. Yeah, the rest are like, eight. who cares? Also, who gives a fuck about Disney approved or not? It's Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Fuck you. All right. Then. Hey, uh, if uh, Bob Iger and co, if you're listening, he didn't mean that. He's just joking. You know, we're still open for any collaboration, any sponsorship deals. Um, you know, we'll be there. And even if you, we, you don't, I'll still be at the premieres. 1946, highest grossing film, Song of the South. Hmm. Um, all right. Um, what is that one about? Uh, don't. Um, <laughs> I think that's a good time to wrap up the show before Luke delves into too much. Um, I'm Matt. Luke, this is Luke. Next week, yeah. we're doing a biggie. It's a good movie. It's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of bags, guys. It's They Live. <laughs> um... Anti-Semites, stay the fuck out of our broadcast. We don't want you here. <laughs> <laughs> they Live is a good movie that has nothing to do with that. Um, and uh, it's it might be a long episode. Yeah, it might be. Um, after that, do you want to finally do what we promised to do, Cannibal Holocaust? Yeah, we will do Cannibal Holocaust after that. I uh, probably won't watch that one with my sister. I'll show my sister they live, and I'll give you her bag report on that one. So it'll be a bonus, bonus Helen bags uh, episode. I can't wait to see the zero to one bag she gives it. Well, I, th- I this is the look. This is the movie for everybody. You really have to struggle to not like this film. It's funny. It's it. It's got action. It's mm-hmm. got the best fight scene ever. <laughs> I mean, come on, come on. And we I saw what, it in the best theater in Winnipeg. We did. I and I was thinking about that, and I wish I wish we could do that again. I wish I could mm-hmm. go see They Live at the Park Theater here in Winnipeg. It was a great experience. Um, I don't know. It was uh, it was excellent. Um, I don't know. We we'll do the quick shill. Uh, got a we got a, an Instagram cop podcast, all one word. You can find us on UMFM. Uh, we are the best podcast on UMFM, may I add. Uh, and was there anything else? Oh, Apple Music and Spotify, regardless of where you're listening to this. Yeah, you can find us uh, also on the UMFM website, right? Yeah, uh, under pod under programming, then go to podcasts or just search Cult of Personality. Tell your friends, tell your mom, Ebert's gone. All right, it's been seven years, and he served us well as the preeminent figure in film criticism. It's time for a change. Let me tell you, those schmucks on YouTube, you know, Stuckman, Johns, they can shove it. They don't know anything about movies. I I, I hate Chris Fuckman so much. (laughs) (laughs) I... I... Um... His reviews are so pissed, and he's in this stupid little man baby room with his action <laughs> figures. And 
His stupid ass Blu-ray collection. And his and... hilarious rewrite of Batman vs Superman. And then Red Letter Media dissed him and he was like crying on camera. <laughs> he, he's kind of like a parody. I'll give a shout out to John's though. John's is chill. Jeremy. Who? Jeremy John's. Who's that? Oh come on. He's he's a guy with black hair, beard, he's on a red background all the time. Does he have a leather jacket or something? Yeah, he has a leather jacket. I've never once watched one of his videos. He does, you know what, he, he's like the perfect casual reviewer. Jeremy Johns is very in tune with what general audiences would like. Mm-hmm. And for that, I think he's a good critic. If you're sort of a casual moviegoer, check out his reviews. They're short, they're snappy, uh, and they're pretty honest. He's kind of like, like the anti-Stuckman. I don't want to do. I don't want to throw too much shade on uh, our fellow movie critic Chris Stuckman here, but he uh, <laughs> has a fucking amiibo collection. And, I think like, he probably I think has he a Triforce should... tattoo. I really think you should cut the part where you call him Chris Fuckman. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if we should keep that in just for future collaboration's sake. It's but a anyway, joke. Well, you know what? He's he was. Uh, he didn't take his joke from Red Letter Media too well, did he? I've never seen that. I have to look it up. But red letter media for reviewers is just like anything new. He's like, mm, no, no. You know, he doesn't mean that. He's just joking. The red a, letter. A media... new Star Trek comes out. No. <laughs> you know what? I I think they liked Beyond, so it's okay. They did. Yeah, I'm just joking. Uh, you know what? We're still waiting. They were said they were going to do a Plinky review for Beyond, but we never got it. But anyway, uh, how long has the show gone on now? Uh, just over an hour. Okay. I, uh, one of my favorite parts of the show is the, the post bags portion where we just kind of ramble. Yeah. It, it's very sweet. Yeah, it's kind of wholesome. It's even better when we're in the studio and then we can go grab a burger after. But now after this, I'm just going to sit in my, my dumbass room. room and play RuneScape until my eyes bleed. And I go to bed at 2 a.m. playing this dumbass game. I'm going to go help my dad uh, set up chicken wire along the fence so we can let our dog run around. It's really stupid, but uh, whatever. Could, I guess can I have you just to run do down it. to the bottom? What do you mean? No, we're just putting chicken been... wire all along the bottom. Oh, okay. So, you know, he can't leave without us asking. Dumbass Kirby. Stupid fucking Kirby. <laughs> Idiot. So dumb. Yeah, so right. that was THX. Alright, next week they live. It's gonna be sweet. Uh bring your popcorn. I'll eat some popcorn on the show for they live. <laughs> to wrap uh, it up. To wrap it up. Um we need to end the show now. So give us the outro. Uh okay, so my name is Luke. Uh I just purchased a Paul Blake autograph. If you don't know who that was, he played Greedo. So hopefully that'll be there to end uh, and sci-fi month. As I said, my name's Luke. Uh, Wrong. Uh, Star, Star, Star Wars is not science fiction. It's not science fiction. It's a space opera, guys, because they don't actually... Uh, um, if anything, it's, it's, uh, it's a space fantasy film. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Oh, yeah. That's okay. so awesome. We showed them. Shall I shall I pull up the Ebert quote on uh, Star Trek and Star Wars fans? 
if you want to actually be embarrassed, like, I don't real bad. Like, this is worse than... Let me read this know. quote, and then we'll end the show. Oh, okay? God. Um, Roger, I saw this tweet, um, and it was a Roger Ebert quote. As we know, Roger Ebert is known for blowing out nerds. He blew out all video game fans. He blew out, you know, fans of crappy movies like The Thing. This is the quote from Roger Ebert. Quote, a lot of fans are basically fans of fandom itself. It's all about them. They have mastered the Star Wars or Star Trek universes or whatever, but their objects of veneration are useful mainly as a backdrop to their own devotion. Anyone who would camp out in a tent on the sidewalk for weeks in order to be first in line for a movie is more into camping on the sidewalk than they are into movies. Extreme (laughs) fandom may serve as a security blanket for the socially inept, who uses extreme structure as a substitute for social skills. If you are Luke Skywalker and she is Princess Leia, you already know what you have to say to each other, which is so much safer than having to ad-lib it. Your fanish obsession is your beard. If you know absolutely all the trivia about your cubbyhole of pop culture, it saves you from having to know anything about anything else. That's why it's excruciatingly boring to talk to such people. They're always asking you questions they know the answer to. End quote. It's just such a... Number one, it's a bad argument. Number two, it's just so useless. Like, what, what, what is the point of that argument? Uh, basically, Ebert is saying, you guys, you, you gotta be cooler. You're doing, you're... Coming from a fat man who hey. uh, had a shit show. Hey, watch this... it, Lucas. Okay. This, this is the barf bag movie of the summer, honestly, Cisco, because I watched this uh, movie and I was thinking, what is, what is the point here? Okay, Look, now... I don't go to the movies to want to puke, okay? And Eber understood that. You go to the movies to be happy, to watch wonder, visual delight, adventure, friendship. These are the pillars of filmmaking that John Carpenter does not understand. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm Matt. He's Luke. That's enough for today. We'll see you guys next week. Stay safe Bye-bye. out there. <laughs>